Hi, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I'm your host, Donna Bishop. Hey everyone, thanks so much for being here. It has been a hot minute. I hope that you are doing well. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. It is with James Yurchuk, who is the CEO of Wuxley, an outerwear company that is anchored in sustainability, making parkas here in Canada, where let me tell you, if you live in a part of the world where winter comes fast and furious, you need a good parka. James's story is really interesting. He, We're going to talk about his perception of being a fashion designer. Something that makes him really interesting is he's a former pro football player. He played for the Canadian Football League. We just had the Grey Cup here last weekend. And how he relates sports to entrepreneurship is really interesting. It is a fashion conversation like very few. Let's get right to it. Hey, James, it's such a pleasure to have you here on Fashion Talks today. Hey, thanks, Donna. Great to be here. So we are going to be diving into the story of, of Wuxley and, and all the things that have led you to the place you are now. But I want to, you know, take a step back and start at like a pre-beginning because something that I think anyone who works in fashion or loves fashion has is this moment where you realize that clothes are more than just something to cover your body. And I wonder if there's a moment where you kind of can identify a love for clothes and a love for fashion that's from your past. Yeah, of course. I think uh, my first like major experience with fashion that I could remember was, I was probably about grade, grade three, grade four. And I remember um, going to the mall and, and uh, Gap was putting on all these cool uh, khaki campaigns with the jive dancing. And, uh, and so I wanted to get involved with the brand and I, I grabbed a, a little sweater jacket and a hat and I remember bringing it home that night and just not even be able to sleep the night before school, just being so excited to go show it off and, and, uh, you know, just being a little bit worried. Hopefully no one else got the same thing that I got. And then, um, the amount of times that I wore that, that hat, like, um, you know, it was just shredded up, like, you know, for years I wore that hat, but like, you know, I, I created an affinity with the brand and, and just, you know, it was my first experience as a, a brand boy. What was it about the campaign that resonated with you when you think back about it? You know, I think it was just the energy and, you know, everyone just having a good time and it, they kind of, uh, it's kind of retro. They brought you to this, like this era where like, you know, everyone seemed to be having fun and happy. There was, I remember those gap campaigns and as a, a, a suburb kid, you know, in the eighties, it, I know it resonated with me as something that was like energized and youthful, but had a classic edge to it as well. Like there was a lot of, it might've even been the first time I started to think about the idea of something having a heritage quality that the gap was kind of tapping into then. Yeah. And, and, you know, at my age, like dances were big and, you know, you, you kind of, think like, oh, what if we started all dancing like this at our dances? <laughs> and let's, so, cause we're talking about your background, like give us a little bit of, of history, you know, where did you grow up? What was your family makeup? Like, where did, where did the James story start? Yeah. So, uh, I just grew up in, uh, suburban Bramalee, Ontario. And, uh, it was my two older sisters and my older brother and my mom and my dad. And, 
you know, just a regular suburban household for the most part. And, uh, you know, I guess um, some of the stuff that was unique about us is like we're probably the first house on the block to have a cam, a composter. And my dad didn't really understand it, but my brother was always like a heavy environmentalist and he was selling it to the family and like, you know, it was going to turn into this gorgeous soil if we just be patient. And so we did that and, you know, he brought in recycling and, and uh, there's always an affinity for animals. Like my mom used to, you know, when there was a spider inside the house, my mom would take it outside with a napkin and, you know, we had a dog, a cat. And so there was always just a love for the planet and love for animals. And, you know, I, I think it's uh, early beginnings of to what brought me to Wuxley. And what was high school like for you? What kind of music were you into? What was your high school experience like? I think high school is, um, I was listening to alternative music and, you know, the, the uh, you know, people living in Toronto, the, the 102.1, the edge was, was a big radio station that I used to play and, you know, is, you know, very, very uh, focused with uh, school sports and you know, having fun on the weekends. And was your high school a, like, was it a public school? Was it a, a uniform school? What was it like where you went? Yeah, we uh, we went to a uniform school, St. Thomas Aquinas in Brampton. And, um, you know, there, I didn't mind wearing a uniform so much every day because you didn't have to think about too much uh, of what, what you had to wear when you're going to school. But, you know, I guess uh, I, I had, a, you know, a decent sized jacket collection because that's how you'd be able to express yourself. You had to, you had to wear the signed pants and cardigans and uh vests, but you know, it's fair game with jackets. So you, you know, you'd, you'd have to have a, your jacket game on point. And did that love of the jacket continue with you post high school? Where did you go after, after you finished? Yeah. Um, I, I went to study in Quebec at Bishop's Quebec. It's a small town called Lennoxville in the Eastern townships. And, you know, this was like a next level of cold where a decent jacket was a necessity because, you know, winter was about five months long, it seemed. And, and so you always wanted to, to be warm for the elements. And what were you studying there? Uh, so I had, um, I majored in, uh, environmental studies and sports studies there. So, um, really, you know, more, more learnings, I guess, uh, about, you know, the importance of treating our planet right. And then sports studies always just been a sports guy. So it intrigued me as well. Well, and sports is such a big part of your story because of course you went on to play pro CFL. What was that? Like, how did that come to be? Like, tell me a little bit about, you know, James, the, the Bramley guy who loves sports. How did your journey to the CFL happen? Yeah. So, uh, I guess just out of high school, I, I'd been, uh, recruited by a few, uh, local universities within Canada and, uh, went on some visits and, and really, um, really liked the vibe over at Bishop's University. There's, you know, good crowd at the basketball game and seemed like a close knit community that I want to be a part of. And, um, you know, put my work in there is, you know, smaller town. So really all you can do is focus with school, um, go to school sports and, you know, having fun with your friends. And so it was a good environment for me. And then 
after my third and fourth year, I started getting on the radar with some of the CFL scouts. And, uh, and after my fourth season, uh, I had to get ready for this like super intensive combine where they're like measuring my speed, how high you can jump, you know, you, you basically, uh, you know, you take your Jersey off and like, you know, all the coaches are like taking notes on the eyeball test and, you know, you're doing all the little tricks to get ahead, you know, as spending, uh, you know, hours in the tanning bed, just getting ready to, to look all good in front of the coaches and stuff. And, uh, you know, it seemed to pay off well because uh, eventually I was picked up by the BC Lions and and uh, spent about the next four years of my life over in Vancouver, uh, carving my teeth there with uh, on the football field. And for 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 those of us who have never like have no sense of pro sports, what's the like what's the environment like for that? Like, what's your your day to day like? Is it intense? Is it you know? bonbons and massages and you know pro photo shoots like what is the experience of playing pro sports like yeah i i would say to begin with it's like super intensive because you're you know you've gone from like a hero in university being one of the top guys and then you land in the pro environment there's guys that has been there eight ten years already and you're back to zero again you got to earn your stripes and you got to show that you belong and every day uh, you're being evaluated by the coaches. Um, you know, you're being evaluated by your peers, and and uh, you know. I, so I think the the first year or two, I'd say, is like really intensive because you know, there's people. Pro sports, uh, it's not a long career. There's there's heads rolling all the time. There's there's uh, you know. I remember my first year uh, in my locker. I had someone sitting to the left and someone sitting to the right. Well, over the course of the year, I had seven different locker mates because, you know, they kind of stick all the rookies together and it's it's a transient uh, side of the locker room. And I imagine like when I think of of football, I also think of the football jacket, like I'm thinking of, you know, Friday Night Lights and and just like watching, you know, homecoming scenes and movies and stuff that 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 the football jacket is kind of a part of the of the football uniform, if you will. Am I like suckered into Hollywood or what's that what's that relationship like? Yeah, like, you know, uh, wearing a football jacket around campus is, you know, really a point of pride. It, you know, it, sh- it shows, you know, you, it's your, you know, as an athlete, whether it's football or any other sports, you're always proud of, of what you're doing. And it, and it kind of showcases to everyone, you know, this is my identity. I'm, I'm a football player. And when you're young, that's, that's real important to you. So it sounds like the jacket, like you, it, it, it is, it is a, it's a community symbol. It is an important part of, you know, obviously climate protection. What else is it about the jacket that resonates with you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one th- great thing I love about jackets is they're, they're almost like heirlooms because you you can wear them for years and years and, you know, tuck them back into your closet, bring them back out, um, have me- make memories with them, tuck them away again, and then look at them again and just remember any great experiences or memories that you might have made while wearing that jacket. And, and you know, that's, that's something that I've 
always done. I guess like I've my my uh, closet's absolutely stacked at home because you know I'd I'd keep my jackets for that purpose. Did you think you were going to go into fashion? Uh, not really. I I didn't think I was going to go into fashion until I was already here. Um, when when we started the company back in 2012 and launched in 2015, we kind of just thought we were making a product. But, um, you know, I soon realized that there was – I was part of the fashion community and, and you know, it was – there was people from the fashion community that were evaluating my jackets and, and, you know, seeing if, you know, they're on trend and, and you know, the quality and, and function that we promised to deliver. How do you distinguish between being a product designer and a fashion designer? Uh, I think with a product designer, it's, it's all about function first. It's all about function first and and with the fashion designer in general, it's more how how does it look? How does it fit first? So I want to step step back a minute because we're kind of getting into a bit more of the of the story of Wexley. But so you're playing pro ball and tell me what happens between your, you know, CFL player and you decide to go into entrepreneurship. How did that journey happen yeah so uh so i was living in vancouver for six months and then i'd go to my family home in bramley for six months and that was kind of my routine for about two or three years uh in a row and you know in the off season there was a bit of time that you know you're working out getting prepping for season and then when you get to season 90 percent of your time is just into the football and um, after doing this for about three years i i wanted to plant my roots a little bit more and you know, I was getting in an entrepreneurial itch. I, you know, I don't think there was an episode of the Dragon Den or Pitch that I ever missed. And, you know, I was really fascinated. And uh, and so I, I wanted to try something out. And what I uh, first landed with was um, a jacket. And, uh, you know, what brought that about was I was moving from uh, BC to Toronto. And my girlfriend at the time had to get her first winter jacket. She was immigrating from Brazil. And she's getting her first truly Canadian winter. And and uh, we went shopping up and down Queen Street West. And there's some good Canadian brands popping on the scene. But nothing that really matched my MO, that environmental household that I came from, that really loved animals and loved the planet. And I thought, you know, I wanted to get her something Canadian, but a little bit more sustainable without any u- use of animals. And I did a bit of research and it wasn't out there. So it kind of just triggered this spark of, you know, something I like. I love jackets. Um, had a, you know, a little bit of romance in there. It'd be nice with my girlfriend. And then also find a, a solution to this challenge. And so it got me hungry. And I, my, uh, my best buddy, Anthony DiBartolo, he was a, a custom tailor in the area. And so, he, you know, he had a bit of fashion background or product background. So I started pulsing him a little bit and he just loved the idea. He wanted to get involved. And we started really pounding the pavement, kind of meeting anyone uh, that would be up for meeting us to, and eventually led us to making a sample coat in uh, a small warehouse in, in uh, North Toronto. And uh, so we, designed this this uh, parka and you know, put it on my girlfriend the first 
the first sample and I don't know if, if she really loved, liked it or she liked me, but uh, she wore it and it kept her warm. She kept around, she stuck around that winter and uh, she immigrated from Brazil and we got married. And so that's kind of the birth of uh, Waxley. And um, the, the great romantic gesture of let me make you your own parka. <laughs> exactly. You know, birthed so many things. So like paint me, tell me more about like, putting together that first sample, like Anthony, you said he's a, he's a master tailor. So he, he understands like pattern making and stuff like that. Are you guys just like, how are you, how are you creating that first, that first sample? Like what was, what was your thought process? Yeah. So it's, it's really like getting in the back of the the factory and, and kind of pitching this, uh, this factory owner, like, cause he's, he's got to, you know, give us a lot of his time and expertise and, you know, trying to hunt down certain materials and, and uh, it's really just pitching people on the vision to begin with. Uh, and, you know, it's, you you really got to pull in a lot of different pieces from the pattern makers to the designers, to the, to the trims, to the materials, and then to the sample makers. And so we're just really getting a lot of people on board of this vision. And, you know, after a few months, it, it kind of comes together with a, uh, a piece and and that's what that's what we uh, accomplished in 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 that first endeavor and as you're creating this sample where does the name wexley come from what's the origins of your of your brand name yeah great question uh so we originally came out uh as woolly like woolly mammoth and um you know we're but so we're with these two pillars like hey we're gonna be made in canada but also animal free. Then we realized with the name Wooly, like, you know, people were asking, Hey, is there, is there wool in this product? We're like, no. And then, you know, we quickly, you know, part of the entrepreneurial uh, journey, this is one of the learnings, like, uh, you know, maybe we better pick a more appropriate name. And, but so we uh, put an X in the middle of Wooly. Um, it represents change. It represents technology. And these are the things that we're leaning on to really inform our brand. Um, you know, uh, an industry that's really been steeped in, in down and fur, we're trying to change that and rely on technology to make people warm. Was there a lot of, call it pushback, call it raised eyebrows when you were talking about the, the sustainability elements of the parka? Cause as you're just saying, like there is, there is such a heritage of, of fur and down and, and, and wool for that matter within, within outerwear. What was the reaction like as you were going to your buyer's meetings? Like, how did you, how did you educate people? How did you get your clients? Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was a lot of like hand-to-hand combat, like just getting in front of people and pitching them again. We'd be setting up at consumer shows, setting up at, at, uh, retail wholesale shows and, you know, anyone that would, you know, give us their ear again, we're continuing to, to pitch and educate and let them know the reasons why that the product was, you know, better, warmer for the environment and can also keep, keep people warmer because, you know, over the years, technology, we explained, has really caught up to some of the heat retention properties that you'd seen down. How did your experience as a pro ball player help fuel your entrepreneurship? I think it was everything for me. Um, you know, it was 
like basically all my roots in business, I kind of just lean into my sporting background and, and what I learned along the way there. And, and, um, you know, that, you know, there's just, there's just so many examples that, that I could share that we'd have to turn this into a three hour program, but give me, uh, give me one, give me one. Like what is the specific kind of connection? So like, I think, uh, one of the main things that, um, from sports is like, you can, you never get too high or never get too low. And and that's what it is every day as an entrepreneur, you're going to get some really awesome moments, like, you know, an awesome moment when you create the first jacket or you make your first wholesale into a store and it's unbelievable rush. But along the way, you're going to get so many no's and like so many, uh, no, uh, mistakes and, and that's going to put you into a rut. And so you gotta, you gotta be able to mentally cope with some of the, what we'd see on a, a football field is a bad play and then come back and make a good one. Well, you're going to make some bad plays as a, a new entrepreneur. And, you know, hopefully there's some good ones that, that counter that as well. This is not the first time I've heard a an entrepreneur talk about this. I was listening to another a podcast the other day, and I think it was actually Ava DuVernay, the filmmaker, who was talking about you can't you can't let you can't get too close to the peripheries of the highs and the lows. You've got to really stay. Is that where focus lies? Do you think in that in that spot where you're not too close to the high and too close to the low? Yeah, like, yeah. If you if you get too high, then like that drop's just gonna be way low because it's it's just around the corner, and so you know you you celebrate and you know you you've got to mix in those celebration mind you you can't just be straight across the board, but you know there's there's something waiting around the corner that you just don't know about yet, and and so you gotta you gotta like build those in. So as you're as you're maintaining your like balanced focused because I can see how on on the field like that would be critical to keeping your head in the game like the expression the head in the game must come from being able to maintain that like lack of distraction from the awesome or the heartbreaking thing that just happened as a as an entrepreneur when did you celebrate the first time like when did you kind of let yourself you know expand those perimeters a little bit such that you could kind of go ah that was that was a good one i think um we launched we 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 did like a consumer show and um you know like we only had like two sample jackets that were like showcasing and you know but we we kind of sold a lot of people on the on the vision then we had like a deadline like hey uh i think it was like september 30th you know buy your jacket if you want to get in for this season and we're it was like a pre-sale and uh so we're handing out cards we did all the muscle and and uh pitching and uh that day i was on a football train ride to montreal and i was just looking at my phone and on that five hour train ride like i saw like my you know relatively blowing up like you know six seven eight orders i'm like wow i'm I'm like i've made more money just on this train ride from this business and I have like in this, you know, whole, my last two weeks or a week playing football. And, uh, and I'm like, I think I have something here and it got me really excited and got my, my mind stirring. And I think that was kind of like, um, a time of when I, I'm like, okay, maybe it's time to, uh, step away from the field after eight years and, and really focus in with, uh, 
with this this new career in 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 Wuxley and so there was some overlap like you were still yeah. playing pro ball while you were starting while you were starting Wuxley yeah yeah and I kind of uh I kind of like it was my closet secret when I was uh when I had when I was playing football and you know I was starting this brand um I'd you know, during training camp, I remember like sneaking off to the factories and, and, you know, we'd come, come or have football practice and we'd have like a gap in the middle of the day. And, but I'd sneak back to the factory, then I'd come back. And so I was like living this double life as a fashion designer, a football player. And I didn't want to tell anybody because, you know, one, like sometimes, uh, you know, you create a label, like, you know, if, if, if I didn't have a good game, you know, people get labeled they're like oh well he's all focused on his jacket company so it's no reason so i you know i just kind of kept it quiet in the background and and chipped away at it but uh you know it was it was quite i was quite stretched uh at the time cuz the days were just super long like you know 14 16 hour days bounce between a football career and this design career that must have been very tiring Yes. And so that's why it didn't last too long. And so like after doing that, like I, you know, I, I, uh, I was also raising a young family. I think I had two kids, two kids at the time. And, you know, I was between those three things, like being with the brand, the being the, the dad and, and being a football player. I was, I was noticing that like everything was kind of you know, just a little bit better than average or it's just about average. I'm like, you know, if I want to be a great dad and make this into a great brand, I knew I had to give something up. And so, you know, that, that's where I made like the tough decision to, to walk away from football. It was kind of scary because I have this growing family and, and, uh, you know, I knew I told, I had to tell my wife like, Hey, like, listen, I'm going to be walking away from this football career. And, Yes, uh, probably won't be taking a salary for about like two or three years. So let's bat down the hatches and uh, make this thing go. But uh, my wife gave me this full support and, you know, the kids really became my motivation. And, you know, we just had to make it happen with knowing, uh, you know, what was at stake. So it sounds like that was like a very, maybe even the first kind of early on moment where that we'll call it like the focus window, you know, kind of shifted a little bit where there was like a, a pivot of like focus and growth. Cause now you're all in at Wexley. Mm -hmm. What was the next big moment of, of growth or, or scalability where you kind of felt that expansion of, you know, my, my expectation of highs and lows just changed a little bit. Cause we've just had this, this, this new, growth or scale or opportunity yeah so like initially we we had um we're doing online sales through kickstarter and direct to consumer sales and you know always appreciative of the early adopters because they really got us going but uh i think making those first wholesale orders it really gave us like validation of like you know we we all of course we're always waving our own flag and you know getting out there and talking about how great we were but now we had these third parties that were investing in you know picking picking up five ten thousand dollar orders and and which is significant for a business owner and 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 they're um you know they're they're telling other people how how great the the products are 
So what makes, what makes a great jacket? Like, like, you know, I can, I can hear your like affection for this very specific garment. What are the things that make it, that make a great jacket? Yeah. You know, I I think a lot of things really have to come together and, you know, the first and one of the most complicated things is the fit because, um, you know, if you pick up any one of your jackets, you'll see that, um, you know, if it's, if it's a parka, it's a very complex piece and there, there might be, you know, 60 different uh, pattern pieces that are kind of sewn together and um, couple that with within our jackets, there could be 40 different components. So there's like a lot of logistics, operations, planning that's all kind of culminating together into this, this final piece. And then, uh, of course, uh, with the fit, you also want like a good style. Does it have like those bells and whistles that you're looking for? Does it have like a nice aesthetic? Does it, you know, does it fit into the places that you want to go with it? And um, and then the warmth, right? That's when it's really going to get tested. And uh, you can be taken to task when it's minus 25, minus 30 out. Is that piece really keeping you warm in the right areas? Does it have the fit so the wind's not blowing up? blowing up uh, and, you know, creating an underdraft, um, you know, and, and with our pieces, we always try to add those, those little extra premium luxury pieces that, you know, sometimes you, you may not wear, uh, utilize a feature every time, but, you know, one out of 20 times you might use this feature and you're like, oh, this is awesome. You know, uh, a lot, a lot of our jackets have, we call them climate control backstraps where they're, you know, you're inside the mall you got a kit on your hand and you just throw it over your shoulder so you don't overheat. Or, you know, if you're caught in like a, a sleet storm or, or a snowstorm, you know, can you conform your hood in the right way so that, that you're not getting uh, mashed in your face with all the, the hail or whatever the elements be, may be throwing at you that day? I can hear uh, James, the university student who's been walking around Bishop's campus, you know, <laughs> fighting with the various levels of winter as you try to create a a jacket that can sustain, you know, especially living in Canada, you know, winter in Vancouver is very different from winter in Montreal or Edmonton or St. John's. So how do you, when, when our cold climate is so varied, not just here, but, you know, around the world. How do you take all of that into consideration? Yeah, of course. Like, you know, we're, you know, we're informed a lot by like the different silhouettes that, that we'll want to see, like with, uh, especially with our women's pieces, we got um, various lengths and, and uh, various fill, like uh, the amount of insulation that we'll put in the jacket to, to, uh, to be appropriate to, you know, various amount of weather conditions and then you know there's certain jackets that are that are completely waterproofed um all our jackets are always the textiles are always waterproof themselves because you know the winters sometimes the the winters um minus five in the morning and then it's plus two raining in the afternoon and you, you need something that protects you through all of it do you feel like you're now part of the fashion community? Like you're a, a you know, a CAFA nominated brand. You are, you know, embraced by, by celebrities. We'll get to Brian Adams in a little bit. Like, do you consider yourself a fashion guy now? Yeah, I, I'd say I'm in there now. I'm in there. Uh, 
you know, we're, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's an open community and, and what I love about it, so many unique personalities and, you know, I, I'm this, you know, a sports kind of a sports guy coming into the community and, and, you know, everyone's been nice to me. And so, and, you know, I feel accepted here. So I feel part of this community now, this fashion community. It sounds like you, you kind of have like these two worlds that you've been bringing ever closer together. Like there's this, like there's the sports world and the, the discipline and the focus and the drive that you need to have to succeed in pro ball and, and, and bringing the, the fashion world, like the love of heirloom and, and understanding the layers of meaning that can be infused into a garment that these worlds are, are, are eking ever, ever closer together. Yeah. There's just, there's so much overlap, um, between, you know, again, just with business and sport. And, you know, I think that, you know, again, just being like having a more, um, sports bas- uh, backgrounds, a little bit more unique on the fashion scene. And so, you know, I think I, I kind of, uh, that helps me bring my own kind of hot sauce with our brand. It's, you know, a little bit different from others. Tell me about how being part of a pro team informs being the leader of a brand team. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's a great question. Like, you know, in a, playing on a sports team and, being around for a bit, you're thrown into all these like leader leadership opportunities, wh- whether, you know, you, you have to, you know, speak to a group or, you know, speak to a school. And, and, you know, I think all these kind of translate when, whether, you know, I'm speaking to different departments within our team and, and, you know, um, being a leader when the times are good, but also being, being a leader when times are bad, it's, it's always a little bit tougher when like you're losing games and, and you're, you're trying to keep everybody corralled. And, and, you know, if, if you get, if you get tossed, um, you know, a, a bad blow in business and stuff, you got to keep people, uh, corralled and, and get the morale back up. So you, you get back on the positive swing of things. It sounds like there's a real mindset training that, has allowed you to kind of take those qualities from sports to, to business, that it's a, it's as much the mental game that is transferable. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm still learning and and luckily I'm enough. I'm like, I'm surrounded by other, uh, other good leaders who like, who, who cut their teeth more specifically in the business environment. And so I'm always able to bounce stuff off with my colleagues and, and, you know, try to taper it down to the appropriate level for uh, a fashion company and stuff. Like, you know, it's, it doesn't always sink. uh, It's it's not exactly apples to apples all the time. So, but uh, you know, again, there's, there's good leaders around with me at the company that, that helped me uh, translate those, those messages in the right way. So I think a, an exciting moment for any any fashion brand is when a celebrity, someone with notoriety, embraces the brand in a in a very authentic public way. You guys have just launched an amazing collaboration with Brian Adams, Canadian icon. 
How did that relationship come to be? Yeah, that was um, that's something formulated over the last couple of years, um, just before the pandemic. Um, our uh, our PR um, lead Jessica Panetta uh, put us in touch w- uh, with Brian, kind of when he was coming to town. Uh, this is the New Year's of 2020, and uh, he's going to go sing at uh, in front of a crowd over in the a- Niagara, and it was going to be telecasted all- across the country on the CBC. And, uh, and Jessica said, Hey, why don't you give Brian a jacket and maybe he'll wear it. And, you know, this is, this is part of the game. And, you know, you send out jackets for, uh, celebrities to wear from time to time. And, you know, sometimes they do put it on Uh, a lot of times, you know, they, they might enjoy it in private, but you know, it's, you don't hear about it again. So I didn't think too much. So anyways, we passed him the jacket and, you know, I go about my business and I'm, I'm at a New Year's party and everyone in the room starts going nuts. And I I thought, like, did I miss a countdown or something? And they're like, no, no, come to the TV. Brian's wearing your jacket. And, and I'm like, what? And it was just like goosebumps all over my body. You know, Brian's in front of a crowd of 20,000 people, um, you know, probably about a million more at home watching and uh, him ringing the New Year's. And he's wearing our piece. And, and uh, that was just an absolute awesome moment for us. And, you know, big, big momentum going to 2020. What a year it's going to be. And then, of course, we got we got slammed with the COVID. And um, and so that that kind of, uh, you know, just quieted things down for a bit. And, you know, about a year later, we got in touch with uh, Brian again because we saw he's continued to wear his, the jacket on Instagram and, and uh, of course, you know, I'm, I'm listening to, I'm a big radio guy. I'm listening to him every day. And I'm like, I, you know, we got to reach out and talk, talk to him. So we reached out to him again and we said, Hey, um, you know, we know you're an artist, uh, music. He also does you know, world-class photography. What do you think about designing a little bit? And he was up for it. And uh, we came up with the three piece uh, capsule collection that he was super involved with and, it was just an absolute awesome experience it, for me personally, just to to see, you know, a guy that's achieved as much success as he has. You can really see that he's really a pro's pros, and there's a reason why he's, uh, besides having the uh, voice of an angel, like why he's done well for himself. Is that a moment that you let yourself kind of poke a little bit above the focus window and and celebrate? A little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there's, there's definitely some, uh, some good folk or good celebrating moments, and and I'd say that one was right at the top. Sustainability is something that you've, you know, threaded throughout your entire, you know, life story, really, and you've mentioned it's such an important part of of the Wexley brand. What are some of the sustainable elements that you're most proud of when it comes to the Wexley jackets? Yeah. So I think just one of the the most proudest point is just making being able to make this product in Canada. It's it's uh making it locally is a form of sustainability and 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 then being able to to drive and in some cases just ride my bike to go see manufacturers and see the the sewing operators and seeing that they are um making these jackets in in a positive environment with smiles on their faces 
making a family living wage. And, uh, and it's also, I think a big advantage to make in Canada for us because these, these, um, these people really understand the cold and, and, you know, there's, there's good insight that we get by working with our local, local manufacturers. And then, um, other, you know, there's, there's tons of, uh, a sustainability elements laced into our jackets, but another big point of pride is our our linings. We're actually um, we found a supplier that's really in uh, abandoned fishing nets and and putting into their supply chain, um, coupled with recycled water bottles. And so, you know, it's it's kind of uh, taking some of these stuff that would would be harming Mother Nature and and kind of putting into our jackets and. You know the the insulation. It's it's made out of a corn. It's corn based insulation, and and it's it's also bio based. So it's partially uh, bio, um, biodegrades in a landfill uh, setting at the end of its life cycle. And how does high school James feel about being at the helm of a fashion brand? <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun. It's cool. Um, you know, I guess I, I, um, you know, I, I, I never would have thought when I was in high school that I'd be doing uh, fashion. Like I always thought it was going to be sports, sports, sports. But uh, you know, it's it's really um, I really found a new passion, in it, and it's something that excites me every morning. And you know, it's not too hard to to roll out of bed and, and tackle whatever uh, on the next day's plate. Do you think the fashion world and the sports world have also like Venn diagrammed closer together over the years? Yeah, I think, um, you know, athletes are really getting uh, profiled for the fashion that they wear and, and um, you know, more and more athletes are, you know, kind of doing what I did and creating fashion brands. And, and, uh, and so, you know, they're going to events and, and uh, high profile designers are putting their their labels on these athletes because um a lot of them are people of influence and and so you know of course you know design and and, or uh athletics and and fashion are continuing to merge more and more you you go to the olympics and the the team uniforms the country uniforms are just such a important piece to uh express your country's uh identity well, and if people are curious to follow along with the Wexley story and and see what comes next with you guys, or see the the beautiful Brian Adams photos as you're as you're talking about, you know, the campaign that that he shot for you guys, I can't help but reflect back on what you were saying at the beginning of our conversation about you know loving that Gap campaign and how the campaign was such a a piece of the fashion world for you. What is it? What do you, what do you think about when you are creating campaigns now? Yeah. I, you know, I think someone told, uh, mentioned to me one time, you know, every day, like when people are on Instagram or, or, uh, Facebook, they, they scroll through a full football page of, of, uh, you know, different pictures and, 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 and ads and, and, uh, comments and like, what do I what do I have to do to kind of just get someone's thumb to stop? Like what what can we do that's different? And you know, what can we do to bring attention to the brand and and you know create our identity and and signal different aspects about the brand in a in a clever way? 
Do you love doing the campaigns as much as you like designing the jackets? Yeah, I'd say like that's one of the, the funnest parts too, because it's it's a real fun day just getting on sets and, you know, all the energy, like, you, you know, the, you have the models and, you know, the, you have makeup, you have stylists, you have, you know, people that are just holding lights, you have photographers and there's a big buildup and, you know, it's a collective energy. They got music playing. And so that's always been like one of the funnest pieces uh, of uh, being part of a fashion brand is is kind of the big production days. It sounds like a little bit, as you were describing that, I'm like, oh, is that like the vibe of the locker room? Like, is that the like, before you go out onto the field, the camaraderie, the backstage, you know, getting ready, like building up like that, that swell that comes before you do the thing? Yeah, yeah, I guess that's a good comparison. It's kind of like game day when you're doing like a, a production and then, you know, you you display it out to all the people you know, shortly thereafter. And, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's a lot very similar to what you do in a sports field. James, thank you so much for being here today. If people want to follow along and check out the jackets and see the, the cool campaigns that you guys are doing, where are the best places for them to find you? Yeah. Um, come on our website, wuxley.com. Uh, we're on all the, the regular social media, uh, places uh facebook instagram it's at Wuxley movement and um we're on queen street west if you're ever shopping down there we're at 825 queen street west for our retail location we have some really cool people um at our store and i'm often there myself so come in and say hi and we'll link all of that in the show notes below so if you're listening just scroll down a little bit and you can click on the links there too james thank you so much for being here today Rock and roll. Thanks for having me, Donna. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I would love to connect with you on social. You can find me at Fashion Talks Pod on Instagram is the best place. If you have a moment to rate and review Fashion Talks on Apple Podcasts, I would so appreciate it. It helps other people find the podcast. A big thank you to CAFA, the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards, uh, the producing partner with Fashion Talks. You can find out more about CAFA and all the other things we've talked about today in the show notes. Until next time, thank you so much for joining me. Bye. Bye.